Hi listeners, welcome back to Millennial Moves. My name is Zach Donish and I'm your Millennial host. Thanks again for your continued support of the podcast. We have some big things planned throughout the rest of this season, and I look forward to bringing you all more insights from Millennials doing great things. Imagine that you're creating a social network. You build a platform and it looks great, it works great, you can like it, share, comment, post pictures, play music on your page, add little HTML GIFs and pictures, just like the old GeoCities or Zanga days. Uh, you open it up to the public and nothing. Very few people join. Few of them maybe bring their friends, you have a slight uptick in users, and then it sort of stalls out. And you end up managing a great-looking private club for a few thousand members of your social media venture. Your next Facebook peters out. How long are you going to push to grow your social network before you turn to other things? Hopefully, not too long. And Silicon Valley would agree. Fail fast. Experiment boldly and venture into unknown territory quickly. Accept failures as they come and look for ways to pivot and advance your skills and expertise if things seem like they're faltering. If all else fails, get out. Now, having not been in that position before, I'm maybe not the best to dispense startup advice that might be better suited for my guest on this chapter of Millennial Moves, Jenna Bueller. Hi, I'm Jenna. I'm a millennial. Jenna ran a startup incubator, which, unlike your elementary school classroom incubator for raising chickens or ducks, is for startup businesses to develop a product and attempt to start scaling their business. With technology, specifically, there isn't a long nurturing phase for ideas. Ideas are cheap and easy to come by. Implementation and scalability are not. An incubator helps entrepreneurs network and grow their ideas, and provides a winning environment to kick off a hopefully successful venture. Most entrepreneurs, big or small, have failed at some point. The key is to walk boldly forward and don't flounder around if your product or service doesn't have the traction needed to scale fast. Jenna talks a bit about that in our discussion. Let's jump into my conversation with Jenna, co-founder of Groundswell Incorporated, a startup incubator on the space coast of Florida, and founder of Trench Media, a media consulting firm. So Jenna, why don't you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, Zach, I am a former Hoosier, Indiana girl um, who moved to Miami in 2012, right after I graduated from DePaul University, where I had the pleasure of meeting brilliant thinkers like yourself. Um, I moved to Miami and worked in the nonprofit world as a trained journalist. Um, my background's in journalism. Uh, and then suddenly found myself in the startup wonderland in Miami, Florida. What was the first big clue that you wanted to jump into startups? Um, I was the lowest person on the totem pole at Knight Foundation, which is a $2 billion um, foundation. They have an endowment that reoccurs every year, and they have the great pleasure of distributing this $2 billion to people who have informed and engaged ideas. And that used to mean that a lot of legacy journalism groups, you know, 
um, your Philadelphia newspapers, your Baltimore newspapers used to get a big chunk of change from this foundation every year. But in 2012, they shifted a lot of what their mission was about to meet the modern needs of society. And they started investing in startups and the idea of, you know, what does it mean to be an informed and engaged public these days? And it's it's changed. And so because I was the, the young kid in town at that foundation, there were like 50 people that worked there, um, I got sent out on these startup stories um, because startup, the term was new. There was a lot of jargon associated. It was a lot of the millennial crowd and... Um, and, you know, I guess not a lot of people were reporting on it because it was so new and nobody knew exactly how big it would be. Um, so that's how I stumbled into this is I got set on the projects that some journalists maybe didn't want to take. <laughs> it sounds like such an amazing story, though, to, to talk about these new and upcoming businesses that oftentimes young people like us are championing i guess what did you find when you went out and you you interviewed folks and you talked with them for these stories yeah so in 2012 miami was still trying to figure out does startup have a hyphen does it not have a hyphen um the word itself and um that's the important thing right yeah (laughs) yeah uh and they were trying to determine what is their startup identity going to look like boulder colorado had really coined the term startup um, Brad Feld was the godfather of a lot of the, um, you know, the standard best practices of running a startup and getting investment. And he was doing a tour around the United States and ended up in Miami with the Knight Foundation kind of training people on on the model, on how you do this startup stuff right. And Miami was trying to figure out how to get there you know, investors who formerly invested in a lot of real estate um, to think differently about investing in their own backyard, you know, their, their own people with who have more access to technology than ever before. Um, it was a really diverse community, still is, you know, they call it the gateway to Latin America for a reason. Um, and yeah, it was just such an honor to be there at a time that is still confusing. And I think it scares people. And I think part of being a millennial is really about being in an environment that is complicated and providing all generations and, and people with all backgrounds access to that complexity, um, you know, ways of engaging with it in a way that makes a difference. You know, you, you said that you went out and you interviewed folks who are part of the startup scene. And at some point you decided that you were, it sounds like you were sick of being the low person on the totem pole. Is that right? (laughs) I uh, wasn't sick of it at all. I I mean, I love the fact that they were letting me write because I was an executive assistant. It was my first job out of college. So I was supposed to be sitting at a desk and I was grateful that they let me out of the cage and on the ground. (laughs) How does that turn into Groundswell Startups, which was a, 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 an incubator for other startups. I guess where, where are we talking? Where was that spark or was it always this dream that you had to get other businesses off the ground? Yeah, I guess I just want to address the fact that I, you know, Knight Foundation, I wouldn't be where I was today without that first job experience. I applied to 50 different jobs after school, um, after DePaul university, and I got one call back and it was Knight Foundation 
And they didn't even call me in for a second interview. I went there on fall break and said I was in town for a tour, uh, in town for spring break, and I would love a a tour. Um, And they gave it to me, and my boss, Andrew Sherry, my first boss, um, hired me uh, within that same week. And, um, you know, it wasn't about being the lowest person on the totem pole. It was about being thrown into the water and into something that people didn't understand yet. And, um, and knowing that I was there to do something that really hadn't been done yet. Um, and it was daunting and I had the best critics, like the best mentors, um, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Marika Lynch, um, you know, really helping me figure out how to report the right way, how to get the story right, um, and how to really get your ducks in a row when it comes to reporting on a deadline. Um, yeah. And, and Zach, back to your question. Uh, Groundswell was never really a dream. I've been blessed with things that came at me, uh, opportunities that have come at me. And um, another mentor of mine called that, you know, the chaos theory. And I think part of being a millennial is really, you know, working your hardest, but understanding that the chaos theory has the best intentions for you, even when stuff feels like it's exactly that chaotic and maybe not working to your advantage. Things have always been to my advantage on this course. And how I got started with Groundswell was um, I was reporting three hours uh, north of Miami. So they let me report full time for Knight Foundation. And I was commuting from Miami to Melbourne. Um, I had lots of friends in Melbourne, actually a sorority sister from Delta Gamma, uh, Megan Wolfgram brought me to Melbourne. Um, and it's kind of like more of the Midwestern vibes, like but beach culture um, up in Melbourne. So I love I love it here. I, I, I live here today. Um, but while I was out in Melbourne doing freelance work, for this manufacturing company called Jcon Systems, I met a group of um, investors who were looking to have a stronger startup culture in the Space Coast. So three hours north of Miami, everyone's talking about startups, people are looking to invest, but the benefit of being in Melbourne was you had that space brand um, in, uh, in what is called the space coast even the area code here is three two one like the countdown and and you know now they have spacex and in one web and um you know all these amazing companies here um and this huge population one in eight people here is a degreed engineer um so a lot of talent is here and when i met this invest investment group um they're all natives of Melbourne, Florida, looking to invest in a nonprofit project that would help to stimulate a culture of entrepreneurship here. So sort of like what was in Miami, but a little bit more on the tech side specifically. Tell me a bit about what a startup incubator is and where you learned about how to get this off the ground. Yeah, a startup incubator uh, means different things to different groups, that's for sure. Um, in this case, it's a nonprofit group where all the resources are free. Um, we help to bring a lot of different mentors to the table. Um, back when we founded this in uh, 2015, June, um, we were looking to find as many mentors on the ground as possible. 
Um, so people who really knew brand or really knew messaging that we could pair up with technologists to help get their concepts off the ground. Um, also investors themselves, you know, people who could help to guide and advise people who didn't know what a term sheet was or didn't know, um, you know, how to, uh, that they needed an LLC or that they needed a co-founder. Um, so we developed this league of people who were committed to investing their time in companies without any strings. So we didn't charge people for services and we really, um, encourage people to advise companies without taking equity or ownership in them, which was kind of a new idea. People were like, well, what's in this for me? Um, so it took a lot of work in terms of helping people to understand the model, which was really a model that Brad Feld um, helped to, to put in place out in Boulder, Colorado, and has kind of spread um it's almost a language. It's how do you develop a community of people that are there to help one another build successful companies? And um, we're still in the early years of that in the Space Coast. They had a co-working space. A lot of times people confuse the term co-working space with um, incubator um, and they confuse the term incubator with accelerator. An accelerator program is likely going to take equity from a company uh, or ownership um, and an incubator is typically free, nonprofit, maybe inside of a university. Ours was actually privately owned um, by three different um, investors. And then um, and the other model is co-working, which is really just a brick and mortar space where people work um, and rent an office. You know, no guts or soul or, um, you know, culture necessarily. What were the first steps you took? towards securing those investments from others to, to get that started? I mean, it's one thing to start a business with your first or last $1,000, but when you're using other people's money, I guess, what's the first step? So in this case, um, I was working with uh, John Vecchio, who is a managing partner at Mosley Ventures out in Atlanta, which is one of the most active early stage investment groups. And um John was great at meeting with different companies. He still is um, out there. Uh, the new CEO of Groundswell is Michael Wyden. Um, and when I got Groundswell off the ground with this team, um, I went and visited Micah at Domi Station, a co-working and incubator space out in Tallahassee, Florida. They started about a year before us. And, um, you know, the founder of that incubator and myself were in correspondence about, you know, how do you set up the community? How do you engage people? Um, how is our community going to be different than yours? How do we exchange mentors and make sure that there's a communication pipeline between your experts and ours? Um, yeah, so the first step was really uh, having a small core group of people who are committed to building something knowing that it wouldn't have immediate ROI, that there was kind of this almost learning curve for the whole environment. Um, so John came down with access to Atlanta funds. So the fact that um, there was capital that was accessible to companies that otherwise wouldn't have access um, was, was huge for Groundswell, really a differentiator um, in terms of, you know, people were, there were all these incubators in the state, but which ones were actually helping to 
build companies and get companies access to capital. And, um, you know, when you're helping to fund a company, um, in this case, our three investors were helping to organize syndicates or um, champion for companies that they had already run due diligence on. So they knew the ins and outs of these companies. They helped to get them a co-founder. Um, they helped to help them with legal legal support, made sure that their brand and messaging was there um, and that their financial models and, um, you know, everything was all buttoned up and ready to go before these guys went on tour to raise money, guys and gals. What about your vision? You know, I think it's one thing to, you know, see the the trees in the forest, but to see the forest through the trees, you really have to step back at a, a time when maybe that's not appropriate. I think that when you start up something new, you never want to look at the big picture. You want to say, if I want to learn how to play guitar, that's one thing, but I don't want to be a rock star yet. Maybe in the future you become a rock star, but you never want to think, I want to be a rock star. What, what was the first thing I need to do? So I guess what was the vision that you guys had in mind? Yeah, the vision was that we were going to build great companies, as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. I think that yeah. that really reinforces the idea that to become a rock star, you just start playing guitar with your friends. Can you elaborate any on kind of what Series A, Series B is? I think a lot of people read the news and they see, you know, the completed round of Series D funding. What does that mean? Yeah, I think it, it's going to be such a case-by-case basis for each company, um, what Series A and Series B look like. Some companies can do several rounds of early-stage investment before they ever get to Series A. Um, and different investors are looking for different things. So sometimes the terms of your first early-stage investment will dictate what type of fundraising round you'll get, Series A, Series B. It's almost like you're in... Your investors and advisors are leading what kind of fundraising future you're going to have. And sometimes folks give like too much equity and ownership away in the beginning, which is called the black kiss of death. You know, when advisors who are like, hey, I'll, I'll take 30 percent of your company and give you access to, you know, some mega Comcast situation like Pepsi, you know, Um so, yeah, it so depends, Zach. And, uh, you know, I didn't become an investment expert as part of building Groundswell. I was really someone that was helping to drive a culture into an area that didn't have an awareness of what entrepreneurship was or how to get engaged and didn't really have any resources. So if I wanted to then create a tech startup, Mm-hmm. And you, what three things would I need to know, have, or identify before I go asking for other people's money or jumping into an incubator or an accelerator? That's a really good question. I think that you need to know that you have a product that people want, number one. And that's oftentimes the most difficult thing, especially out here where you have the tech talent that can build something in their garage in an evening that they hope people want. Um, you know, if, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. Uh, it's hard to, to try and raise money for something that you later learn years later, sometimes that people just don't want. So doing customer research is so key as a first step. Um, (laughs) second, how will you make money? 
also a very difficult question. Companies typically pivot over and over and over again, and and failure is actually good in this environment. Um, there's a term called fail fast. You know, as long as you're feeling fast um, and kind of you know keeping your burn really low, not spending too much money on anything, you know, maintaining that ramen noodle diet. Um, <laughs> you should be good to go. Um, pivoting is good. Failure is good. Um, as long as you're really identifying that market and figuring out how it is that you're going to make money. Um, the third thing I'd say is also kind of the first thing. I mean, you really need a co-founder. You need somebody else that believes in your product and your mission and the need as, as much as you do. And that co-founder is somebody that you know it's almost like a marriage of sorts um you've got to be in it to win it um during the good the bad the ugly um both maintaining that ramen noodle diet a lot of people have families you know so taking on a lot of risk and dividing that risk between two people is a first step a big one what's the hardest thing you've faced as a female founder my hardest thing that I had to deal with as a female founder is hearing the word no. Um, I think everybody deals with the word no in different ways. And people can say, oh, you know, you're no good at criticism if you can't hear the word no. But I think for a woman in a male dominated environment, hearing a lot of no can really be intimidating. And how do you navigate the word no? How do you come back to the same issue and pivot and not take it personally. And uh, the biggest challenge that I've had as a woman is taking things personally that were just business, but uh, you know, over time, it can just kind of feel like this is personal. This this isn't about the issue. This is about my femaleness right now. Um, and I think navigating that is going to be a lifelong journey. And I think every step that I've made in that journey has been not just for myself, but for what I'm going to teach, you know, my, my mentees and my own students, however that looks in the future. If I had one, you know, word of advice for any millennial that's looking to start something up, it's just like, keep going at it. I mean, I've had my own company, companies since 2013. And, um, I've never been in a situation where things were, too tight to go on and it's I've so loved every job that I've ever had and I think that's really important for people to know that it's possible to to build your own empire and work with people that you really believe in eventually you left groundswell why'd mm -hmm. you leave yeah so I had been with groundswell for two years just over two years in uh this past July um, we opened our brick and mortar space. So we were a virtual nonprofit incubator, just meeting people in coffee shops, helping them out for um, over a year, like a year and a half. And then we built a co-working space and incubator in a former indoor skate park out off of US 1. Yeah, beautiful 11,000 foot uh, space. Um, and once it opened... There I was, you know, not working out of my house or a coffee shop, but working 
alongside, you know, 50 other really brilliant minds. So a lot of other opportunities to collaborate came as a result of that. And I jumped on to a company that was supporting Talus. Uh, Talus is a, they've got a live streaming solution um, that was, um, it's a French company and they have a satellite group here. Um, and I met their data consultant, a big data consultant out there named Daryl Hines. And Daryl is a uh, data consultant for Facebook, for LinkedIn, um, for all of these Fortune 500 and Global 50 companies. And, you know, his entire business has been word of mouth. You know, he started working with the NSA and you know, everybody knows that Daryl's the man, but he's never had marketing. So the moment that we met um, and started hosting meetups, it was just a really best fit for both of us to start scaling his effort and not just offering consulting services with him, but helping him to develop a training program online where people could get these skills for themselves and make $300 an hour and up. And that took you to Trench Media where you are now. Yeah, correct. I started Trench Media and I help people like Daryl Hines and in all different kinds of groups um, to to help with their messaging and communication strategies. Um, more so on the um, content strategy side is is where I want to, to be at with Trench Media. Um, we're working with some artificial, intel- artificial intelligence experts Um coming up in the next couple months and uh, also working with a lot of people who are interested in furthering a culture of entrepreneurship that's cross-regional. And that gets a little complicated, but I'm so excited that I've met people in Miami and Orlando and here in Melbourne, you know, the, the space that that covers is, you know, bigger than Silicon Valley but there are stakeholders that all want to build a stronger value chain between the investment community and the high-tech talent that's in all those different regions. And it's very diverse. In Orlando, you've got entertainment, virtual reality, um, healthcare really on fire out there. In Melbourne, we have the space industry, the small satellite community, a lot of communications and um, video talent. Um, And then, um, down in Miami, you've got just incredible business expertise. I mean, when we have self-driving pods and Miami people are hanging out with high-tech Space Ghost people, this place is going to be thriving for sure. Big thanks to Jenna Bueller for chatting with me about the startup lifestyle on the Space Coast of Florida. Sounds like it involves a lot of ramen. I'm privileged to chat with friends and share my conversations with you, listener, and I hope you enjoy them. Leave us a review on our Facebook page or iTunes store page. And while you're there, follow and subscribe to our podcast. If you found Millennial Moves on your aggregator of choice, subscribe there too. In our next chapter, I'm taking a deep dive into something very meaningful for me, the creative process, along with composers, playwrights, and screenwriters. Thanks for listening to another chapter of Millennials Making Moves. <laughs>